Hey, everybody. Uh, my name's Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, it's cool. Well, my sobriety date's uh, sobriety date is April 25th of 22, and my home group is the Bolden 8 a.m. Zoom. Uh, but this room was the first room, the my first AA meeting once I got out of rehab. So it's um, both fitting and comfortable for me to be here. And it's cool that Reese asked me seven minutes ago instead of seven hours ago because I would have been freaking the fuck out. All <laughs> so. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so this is my first time doing this, and um, uh, I will start with uh, some early days sort of family context because I feel like it has um, a lot to do with just how my childhood sort of formed and some of the behaviors I developed. But um, I, my parents divorced when I was like one, um, and I was ended up with my dad actually, and. Um, he was single for another three years or so, and then he, and then he married my stepmother, who would ultimately um, become my number one resentment, uh, decades-long thing, but I'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Um, and then also having, um, I have a fall birthday, and um, so the decision was made to start me in school, uh, on the, on the early side of that. So I was always the youngest in my class um, and therefore a little bit shorter um, and just always, yeah, I guess I just sort of always felt like the pipsqueak um, for lack of a better term. And so the, um, I'm working on my eye contact tonight too. Um, so the, uh, that attention seeking, attention seeking behavior started pretty like pretty early, um, you know, getting called out in class a lot. Um, um, and, and that sort of insecurity developed. I didn't have it so much in grade school, but certainly by the time I was in middle school, I was, yeah, definitely feeling like a boy amongst men. Um, and that, you know, was, that happened you know, all the way through high school. And, um, and yeah, so I, <clears throat> I barely got out of high school. There was a lot of, you know, the drinking at lunch kind of started, um, thankfully not by myself, but in a group, you know, with a group of guys um, on Fridays that started pretty early. And, um, and I guess I had been doing okay in school all the way, you know, up until that point, um, nothing, you know, not knocking out of the park or anything, but um, definitely probably hanging out in the B minuses or whatever. And um, yeah, um, but I did barely like by like a half credit or something um, graduate on time. Um, and somewhere in my senior year, and this is a pivotal moment because I will, alcohol has always been, definitely been my gateway, but um, a huge, sort of event that would dictate the next three, four, five years was um, doing ecstasy for the first time, like midway through my senior year. <clears throat> and, um, and the stepmother that I mentioned, she was just, my dad, she was just, kind of, she was a rageaholic for starters. She was very controlling. Um, and there was a point at which my dad just like relinquished control of the household. 
And that was very hard for me because I didn't feel like I had, you know, my dad in my corner and I'm dealing with this very strict, very controlling, um, and just really mean at times person. Um, and I didn't know how to navigate that. So somewhere in there, um, towards the end of high school is when the, you know, sneaking, sneaking drinks out of the liquor cabinet, um, by myself, um, like either right after getting home from school or, um, you know, at certain points on the weekend or whatever, um, all of that stuff, um, definitely was happening. And so when I did get out of high school and got out, you know, of that house, um, I mean, there was a lot going on then with her, how strict she was or whatever. And there was a lot of me pushing back against that. Um, and it was small things like if my friends could stay out till 11, I had to be home at 10 or whatever. And I just, that was just intolerable to me. Um, and um, so um, the rebellious sort of, yeah, fight, pushback. Um, see you, man. Uh, all that started, um, yeah, around that time too. So once I did get out of that house and get an apartment, I just, I've, uh, <laughs> I just went ape shit. Um, we, I got an apartment with a couple of friends. I was still 17 because of the early school thing. Um, but, uh, got an apartment sometime after that, sometime that summer or fall after graduating high school. And, um, I think we lasted two or three months before we were evicted. And it was, and it was, um, yeah, it was, I don't need to go into detail about the, how those three months sort of played out, but it was definitely like alcohol and drug induced, um, like many nights of the week, I was just sort of waddling around at ACC. Um, and uh, that apartment complex run came to came to a head uh, one particular morning. I already knew we were getting evicted, so then we had like 72 hours or whatever to really go nuts. And, uh, <laughs> and we did, and I don't know if any of y'all remember Medusa, the stuff you'd spray on your sleeve or whatever, but you could get it at head shops or whatever, but we had like a pyramid of that on the mantle of those empty cans. Um, and I'll never forget that image, but, um, the last night we were there, we had a party and drugs were involved and, and somehow it's, you know, it's weird the things that seem like a great, a good idea when you're on ecstasy, but pulling up a stop sign from one of the neighborhood um, stop signs uh, and, and taking that home um, and having it just in the living room with the roots and everything um, just on the carpet six or seven people sleeping on the living room floor and uh and and that was that and of course at the time we were just like yeah this is what you know this is what people in their late teens do I'm just trying to figure it out man and uh and so i went yeah um messed around at acc for a little while went down to san marcus texas state lasted a year, was invited to leave, came back here. Finally, after five years of all this, kind of got it to the point where I was able to start taking school seriously. And I did that sometime in my early 20s. And then I guess I started taking maybe life a little bit more seriously. Um, you know, I looking back, the alcoholism 
the longer I stay sober, um, you know, nine months and change now, but I have been trying to get sober for seven years. So that, that rehab stint I mentioned earlier was uh, May of 2016. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about the last seven years, obviously, when I get, get there. But um, so <clears throat> finally got through school and started working in radio. And that was the perfect job for mid-20s. Um, alcoholic, which again, I didn't you know, know at the time. But um, I was like in charge of the station van that would go out to events. And, um, and I had this one event that I needed to be at on a Sunday night, every Sunday night. And, uh, you know, I, I'm blown away that I, you know, made it, made it home every night in the company vehicle. And I did that for, I don't even know, that was probably a year or two, but, um, so, um, by this time, uh, drinking a lot still, but fortunately, probably for me, ecstasy had gotten bad and if it was good, it wasn't affordable. So that started to fall off and that was a perfect time for cocaine to enter the picture. And, um, and that has been, that had been, the reason I mentioned this stuff is cocaine never sounds like a good idea when I'm sober. It's only after two or three drinks and then it's the best idea in the world. So it wasn't every time that I drank, but usually if I was doing drugs, it was because I had drank first. Um, and it's just a huge part of my story. So, um, and I hope that doesn't offend anybody. So, um, yeah, so, um, again, even into late twenties and my thirties, um, just drinking what the amount that I thought everybody, you know, drank, um, all the while, like romantic relationships are failing. Um, no matter how much money I made, I was still, you know, I just thought it was normal to be, you know, just to be scraping by like full-time job, but then still scraping by. Um, and a lot of that was just partying. Um, and, uh, and then more of the same through my early and mid thirties. And then things sort of just everything, uh, I'm from Austin by the way. And so it was either San Marcos or Austin. I hadn't lived anywhere else at that time. And so, um, the fall of 2007, um, like music wasn't going well, relationship had just ended, work wasn't going well. And um, I thought, and then I was like, you know, I didn't know the term at the time, but um, I thought a geographical solution was probably um, the best thing for me to just get out of Austin. Um, so I didn't really have a master plan for that, but I moved to a small town in West Texas, um, and I didn't know that every small town in Texas, um, you know, a lot of the culture is centered around drinking. Um, and still these same patterns of, of romantic relationships not, not working out, um, always just hustling to, to make it um, every month. And again, just drinking in a way that I thought everybody drank. Um, and did that for a while um, and somehow held it together. Um, looking back, it's kind of, it's kind of mind blowing, but, um, 
my list of yets is, yeah, I, I try to remain grateful for that every day because I, I just don't, I haven't had a lot of consequences. Um, with the exception of relationship-wise and, and, you know, the physical, emotional sort of toll that I've taken on myself. Um, so still turning my wheels in the mud in, in every sense of the term, um, but getting by. And then fast forward to 20, like late 2015, I did manage to get a relationship, get into a relationship that lasted a year, which was just fucking miracle. Um, and when that dissipated, I, I kind of just like, I gave up hope. Yeah. I just gave up hope across the board. Like never going to figure any of this out. Um, never going to figure out the stuff that was important to me anyway. And, um, and that's when it really got bad. <clears throat> I was technically self-employed at the time. So if I didn't have a job in the field, I'd be like audio and video and event production. Um, so if I just had to like check emails, like return emails and, and place return phone calls or whatever, um, that was like permission for me to like start drinking at 11 and, you know, in my underwear, returning emails or whatever. And, uh, and, and I was quite comfortable with that. And then if I had to be at a job and it was kind of a casual job, then I was, it got to the point where I was coming home to, to do a few shots, uh, just to, you know, to, in my mind, make it through the day. And that escalated to the point where I was drinking, I don't know, is a fifth, a 750? I don't know. I, I don't know. I was drinking, not, not the very, not the big one, but the bigger than the pint one, um, of Jim Beam on a, on an almost daily basis. Um, and I was at one of my side gigs one afternoon, which was, um, a tour of being a tour guide. And, uh, and I got halfway through the tour, uh, and I just, I, my, I couldn't function. I didn't really know what was going on. I, I knew that it was probably alcohol related. Um, but I started shaking. Um, I was having difficulty breathing. I was losing my balance and, um, come to find out I was going into, you know, the DTs, um, didn't have much knowledge of that either. I guess I had heard of uh, delirium tremens, but I didn't know much about it. So that was my first ER visit, um, like late 2015. And then I lost count of the number of ER visits between December of 2015 and April of 2016. And um, it was in April of 2016 that four of my best friends um, out there staged an intervention. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that that's saved my life. And um, side note to that, those four people, three of the four are, are in my yeah, inner circle of best friends. One just moved away and is harder to reach, but um, super grateful for that. Uh, and then I ended up at the right step in Wimberley in the month of May in 2016. So what's it, these last seven years, um, I have been largely sober. I'd say over, you know, 
over half the time, maybe 75% of the time. And I know that that's like, you know, trying to like lunge for, for something that feels like grounding and like progress. But, um, some of the things that I've heard or that I heard early on, whether it be in rehab or shortly after I got out was, you know, um, this idea of like any, any sober time is, you know, good time. And, uh, so the reason I mentioned that is, yeah, seven years of me trying to get either on the other side of step nine and or get to a year and, uh, and still, still working, working towards that. Um, what's different this time um, is, is that I, yeah, is that I have a home group. I used to think that um, a home group was just the clubhouse like you went to the most. But, um, so having a home group um, has, has been really, yeah, a really sort of a game changer for me. Um, and I know that gets us up to the, to the current time and I might skip around a little bit, but um, yeah. Uh, I will say that even though I have not made it all the way through step nine and I'm, this, it's, it's awesome that this happened tonight because I had been feeling like my program was running flat. So um, uh, uh, anyway, um, so in working step nine, my number one resentment with my stepmother, we were estranged um, for about seven and a half years before she died in the summer of 2020. And, um, you know, my sponsor at the time, we started doing prep work to for me to make my amends to her, which is definitely something I did not want to do. It's not something that I felt like I owed her, um, you know, being the, the child and the parent-child relationship or whatever. Um, so, my dad died in the summer of 2009, and why that's important for a lot of reasons is that he was the connection I had to, to them. And it's like, he had two kids with, with my stepmother, and I'm not particularly close with them either. So after he died, the, the amount of time that we stayed in touch started to decline. It got to the point where when we would talk, it was because I reached out to them, and most often that was out of guilt. Um, and then I would get sort of shamed or guilted for not calling more often. So I, I pulled the plug on that relationship. And so we didn't talk for seven and a half years. And I knew that, she, that maybe she wasn't in the best of health. Um, but I didn't know for sure. And so <clears throat> this all ties back to step nine, which is where I'm at currently. And that I you know, my sponsor wanted me to start praying for her in the morning. And um, that was awful at first. And then I started to just recognize, yeah. The more I did that, I started to recognize some things that I could take ownership in terms of that relationship. And we had been working on this for like a month. Um, and, uh, and it was getting to the point where he was gonna want me to, you know, reach out and, and call her or just, you know, go to Austin and, and whatever, do it in person. Um, but um, three or four weeks, maybe even longer of doing this work. And, and then I got a call from my brother that, and he letting me, letting me know that she had 
passed, that she was in the hospital and <clears throat> that she had, had passed. And um, I, I can only hope that, yeah, that, she, that there, was a, there was a sense that she, that she knew that maybe that I was trying to take ownership of my part or that I was trying to reach out in some way. Um, because had I not been doing that work um, and, and, and finding out all of this at that time, um, there's a good chance I would have just gone back out over the guilt and shame of, of all of that. Um, but back to the present. Um, so, yeah, um, having a home group and, and even having a sponsor for the first time, I think that doesn't co-sign um, my bullshit, which is hard sometimes. Um, these have been good, good learning lessons for me. Um, and no matter what, I mean, my schedule is, is still unpredictable at times, but um, I definitely pray and meditate every morning. And uh, that's a lie. I, I pray every morning. I try to meditate. <laughs> try to meditate every morning. If I don't meditate in the morning, I try to go to a meditation meeting at night. But I think my point with all of that is I don't, I don't feel like I have my program dialed in. It's very scrappy at times. Um, if, uh, you know, um, sometimes it's, it's just texting people at red lights or whatever and just trying to, like, stay out in front of um, whatever's lurking around the corner. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, it seems to be working. It seems to be working finally for the first time. Um, I can't sit here today. Um, I, I mean, it's so inspiring when, when I see people speak and they're, they're just loving, you know, loving sobriety. Um, I am grateful for my sobriety. Um, I get bogged down in wanting it to feel good instead of just better than the alternative. And that hasn't, maybe that won't happen, I don't know. And maybe that's why it's just a daily reprieve. But, um, but I am scrappy with it and um, I feel like as long as I'm hitting some of the marks, um, some of the things I know I'm supposed to do, that um, as long as I feel like I'm in check with my higher power, my higher power knows that my aim is true, you know, that I'm not wake up in the morning and just saying, fuck all this or, or whatever, um, that I seem to get through most days these days um, without being tempted to drink. Um, I'm still, I've got a long way to go in terms of um, nightly inventory. Um, I still am not quick to apologize when I know that I should. Um, and I don't know what, what the fear there, or the hiccup is there. Um, but, uh, in addition to everything that I do in AA, you know, music, <coughs> exercise, um, 
staying in touch with my normie friends that are supportive. Um, and, um, you know, making sure that I'm making plans to do things, um, to do a little something that I'm excited about. All those things are super important. Um, and I, patience is a hard one for me. I, a lot of what comes up um, has been coming up lately is trust in the process, and that's also very hard for me. Um, uh, you know, the book talks about being rocketed into the fourth dimension, and um, I feel like, um, and I apologize if you've heard this before, you might have heard this before, I feel like I'm, most days it feels like I'm riding a turtle into the fourth dimension. <laughs> but, 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 if the turtle's riding towards the light, then, um, then I have to be okay with that. And it's hard for me sometimes, but uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm super grateful to, to, to be alive. I'm super grateful to, um, have, to have the friendships that I've made over the last nine months. Um, and, you know, I was, um, my power went out for a few days, it's back on now, but I'm supposed to be chairing the Friday mornings um, this month on the 8 a.m. Zoom. Um, and if you're looking for a good way to start your day, I invite you to join us. But um, my topic for this morning was going to be, you know, we hear, uh, we hear the words keep coming back a lot. And, and at first I thought, at least for me, I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, just, you know, keep coming back physically to the house, you know, keep coming back to the, physically to the meetings. And, um, but now I'm starting to realize for me that keep coming back means I need to not only physically keep coming back to meetings, but I need to keep, you know, I need to keep going back, coming back to the literature. I need to keep going back to the phone and reaching out to people. Um, I need to keep going back to the gym. I need to keep, um, you know, trying to find vegetables once a week. Um, I need to keep coming back in a lot of different ways. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's got me to, to the present day. It's nice to see you all this evening. So thanks, Chris. Thank you.